Hello and welcome to Love Signals. My name is Michaela McDonald and I will be your host as we continue on this journey of exploring all the ways that love is sending signals to us and through us. All right, everybody, here we are, episode 12. Welcome back. I'm so glad that you're here. If you're new, welcome. If you're returning, welcome. (laughs) I'd like to dive right in with a quote from The Untethered Soul, which is a book that I shared a little bit about last week, but that I've been digging into more. When you're lost and struggling with all these psychological and energetic changes, you are suffering. While it may not seem to you that you're suffering compared to what it can be, you are suffering. In truth, the very responsibility of having to hold it all together is itself a form of suffering. You notice this most when things start to fall apart outside. Your psyche goes into turmoil and you have to struggle to hold your inner world together. But what exactly are you trying to hold on to? The only things in there are your thoughts, emotions, and movements of energy, none of which are solid. They are like clouds, simply coming and going through vast inner space but you keep holding on to them as though consistency can substitute for stability. The Buddhists have a term for this, clinging. In the end, clinging is what the psyche is all about. So that is um, from the chapter, Letting Go of False Solidity, chapter 14, in The Untethered Soul, which is by Michael Singer. And I actually skipped ahead uh, to grab that quote for our episode today because I'm just starting to reread this book and it's wonderful. And I feel like it builds so well to all these ideas. And there's certain kind of pithier ways that he talks about things later on in the book. And that's why I jumped ahead. But the section that I'm in right now is called Your Inner Roommate. And basically he's really explaining what the psyche is, which is what he was talking about in that quote. And this idea of the psyche is that there's a part of us that we often misidentify with. We often identify with our psyche. And the way we do that is when there's kind of that voice in our head saying, oh, it's cold out. I'm cold. It's cold. And we hear that voice, right? You could even make that voice in your head shout at you, right? If you wanted or whisper to you. And we'll identify with that voice. We'll think that's who I am. I am that voice. I'm the one saying it's cold out or I, why hasn't he called me back yet? Or I'm hungry or whatever it might be. And the reality is that while there is that part, that's the voice, there's also the part of us that's the witness or the witness consciousness, which is something that's talked a lot about in Buddhism. That's been my main introduction to it, but I've heard about it in other worlds. And it's this idea that there is this part of us. There's who's the one who hears the voice. Who's the one who says, oh yeah, there is a voice in there saying something. And that's this witness consciousness that is really vast and spacious and holds all these different ideas and thoughts and feelings and everything that, you know, rises and falls internally. And what Michael Singer talks about so much in this book is how the more we're able to rest in our witness consciousness and not identify with our psyche, 
the more we're able to really be free. And so I'll share a quote from the chapter I'm currently in to shed a little more light on that. The bottom line is you'll never be free of problems until you are free from the part within that has so many problems. When a problem is disturbing you, don't ask, what should I do about it? Ask, what part of me is being disturbed by this? If you ask, what should I do about it? You've already fallen into believing that there really is a problem outside that must be dealt with. If you want to achieve peace in the face of your problems, you must understand why you perceive a particular situation as a problem. If you're feeling jealousy, instead of trying to see how you can protect yourself, just ask, what part of me is jealous? This will cause you to look inside and see that there's a part of you that's having a problem with jealousy. Once you see clearly the disturbed part, then ask, who is it that sees this? Who notices this inner disturbance? Asking this is the solution to your every problem. The very fact that you can see the disturbance means you are not it. The process of seeing something requires a subject-object relationship. The subject is called the witness because it is the one who sees what's happening. The object is what you are seeing, in this case, the inner disturbance. This act of maintaining object awareness, excuse me, objective awareness of the inner problem is always better than losing yourself into the outer situation. This is the essential difference between a spiritually minded person and a worldly person. Worldly doesn't mean you have money or stature. Worldly means that you think the solution to your inner problems is in the world outside. You think that if you change things outside, you'll be okay. But nobody has ever truly become okay by changing things outside. There's always the next problem. The only real solution is to take the seat of witness consciousness and completely change your frame of reference. He goes on and talks about how no solution can possibly exist while you're in, lost in the energy of a problem. And that's something that many of us are familiar with Einstein talking about, how you can't solve a problem from the thinking that created it. And he goes on to talk about how problems are generally not what they appear to be. When you get clear enough, you will realize that the real problem is that there is something inside of you that can have a problem with almost anything. The first step is to deal with that part of you. This involves a change from outer solution consciousness to inner solution consciousness. You have to break the habit of thinking that the solution to your problems is to rearrange things outside. The only permanent solution to your problems is to go inside and let go of the part of you that seems to have so many problems with reality. Once you do that, you'll be clear enough to deal with what's left. And he talks about how it's important to be really honest with ourselves that just because there's something bothering us now that we think, oh, if I resolve that, everything will be fine. Um doesn't necessarily mean that that's true. There have been problems before. There will be problems in the future because this psyche, this part that's always looking for something is always looking for something. It's always looking for kind of some problem, something to be bothered by, something that it needs to fix, something in, especially in our external world uh, that needs to be fixed or that it could be bothered by. And a piece that I wanted to talk about when it comes to this is um, something that Nick Ortner uh, of The Tapping Solution speaks really clearly on in his book, 
Manifesting Your Greatest Self, where he talks about the negativity bias and how a lot of you know researchers and scientists think back to the evolution of humans and how it's most likely that the ones who were more mm, more anxious and kind of tentative of like the ones who were nervous about a sound in the wilderness and who chose to get higher ground are the ones who more often survived than the ones who were like, oh, it's nothing, it's fine. I'm just, I'm just going to chill. I'm just going to relax. I'm not going to assume that that's something bad. I'm going to assume everything's fine. And because, you know, being anxious about everything, especially back when we didn't have, you know, the types of shelters we have now and all of that meant that you were being extra cautious and chances are you, you would be spared at least some of the time, you know, half of the time when you were anxious and there was no reason to be, it's not like there was any real negative impact of that, except the stress that that human had. Um, and then the other half of the time when something really bad did happen, you were spared from that, you didn't die. And so it's possible that because of kind of natural selection that that's been become like a stronger circuit in the human mind is to, to be vigilant, to have this kind of negativity bias where we assume the worst or we pay more attention to the bad things that happen than the good things. And I feel like this relates so much to the psyche because uh, it seems like that's, it's kind of describing so much of the quality of the psyche. And I think the more we're able to identify what's going on in our mind, the more we're able to kind of step more into that witness consciousness and just kind of observe it all more. And, and so with the negativity bias, one of the craziest things to me about this, and I don't know the exact stat, but there's something like we need to have like three to like 10 times as many positive experiences to outweigh one negative experience. And maybe you can even reflect on this for yourself. Maybe it's one thing in your day that made it feel like a bad day, right? One bad thing happened. And maybe that makes the whole day or the whole afternoon feel a certain way. Whereas a few good things might feel nice, but if that one bad thing happens, it could kind of wipe out the rest. Uh, versus, you know, if you have a bunch of good things, it takes a bunch, I think, to make it feel really good. I mean, once again, the, this depends on how, how much you're kind of consciously working with this or how much you're just kind of letting the psyche do what it kind of naturally does. So the way I see this relating to love letters and love signals is I really see how writing these love letters was a way of um, kind of honing my attention. So I think, you know, there's different ways to work with the negativity bias. I think it's profound to know that it's there. And as Michael Singer talks about in his book, The Untethered Soul, it's profound to simply witness that inner working of the psyche. Because to be clear, the psyche isn't only negative. It's also when you have positive thoughts. Oh, I liked that. I didn't like that. It's like, it's like all those opinions basically that are going on is what he's describing as the psyche. And whereas the witness would be like, ah, oh, who is the one who likes strawberry ice cream? Who is the one who has all these preferences? You know, what is that part? You know, it's, it's the one listening and observing that's just spacious. And so I'm still reflecting on and figuring out if I feel like the love letters that I wrote during that year 
helped me connect more with the witness consciousness. I don't know if they necessarily did. I do feel like they helped me connect with something deep and profound. And as I've said in the last few episodes, it feels like it was really connecting with God and my trust in life and my trust in God and my trust in myself. It was a very big, deep thing um, that happened there. And there's so, like, when I think about the letters, it's like, oh, there's so much preference. There's so much, like, delight being taken in the specifics of being alive and the specifics of being me. And, like, in a way, it does feel like maybe it's just a form of the psyche that's just very pleasant <laughs> and very nice. And I'm still kind of thinking about all that, like, wow. Yeah, maybe that isn't, you know, the, the fullest form of me. And I still think it's valuable, especially on this front of the negativity bias, because I see how, how much consciousness and how much choice went into looking for love signals, looking for things to appreciate, looking for ways to cherish what was real for me, whether it was the internal landscape I was experiencing or the external landscape I was experiencing. And because there is so much going on in our beautiful human brains, there's just like, oh my gosh, you know, the concerns, the worries, the need to be in control, all of it. The problems that we think once we solve, everything will be fine. <laughs> you know, there's so much going on that I think we kind of default to. And so to consciously encourage more ease, more attention towards love and appreciation. I know for me, that's been really profound and very helpful. It, I think it's given me more energy. And yeah, so with that, I'll read you a love letter. This one is from July 20th of 2020. Looks like it was a new moon, which is interesting because when this releases tomorrow, it will be a full moon here in July of 2022. I love witnessing your process. I really admire how willing you are to show up so fully for life, day after day. I see how you are opening up to even more peace and power and freedom now, Michaela, and it's a wonder to behold. I feel excited for you to continue on this path. You are magic and you leave magic in your wake. I love that one. I think that it's so interesting to use our own minds, our own words to shine light on what else is possible. Because there is this negativity bias, right? There are these ways that we can get stuck on our problems. We can be weighed by, down by them. We can forget how, uh, how much strength and peace and freedom we inherently have. And it's so cool to me that we have in our consciousness, because we're conscious, we can choose to focus our attention where, where we like. And in a way, this love letter process has felt like, like, a way of, it's interesting because it, it kind of feels like a way of taking charge, you know, like taking, taking the 
the uh, malleability of the mind into my own hands and, and really consciously choosing to sculpt what I want from that. But it also has felt like such an allowing, such a, um, an opening and a, a curiosity that has brought in a lot of things that I didn't expect, right? It's like, and I, to me, that feels like that is the essence of the creative process. There's some level of will and intent, but then there's also this opening up to other, other dimensions, other, other, um, influences of, you know, the divine of nature of all these different aspects that can guide us to create whatever is ready to be created. And that's just so cool to me that we can do that. And that specifically with, you know, things like this, where you're writing, you know, love letters, where you're choosing to connect with love or choosing to connect with gratitude. It's so beautiful how that starts to create almost like a whole world all around it. And that perspective can shift so many other things, which I love. So I wonder if you all have any insights on all of this in your own life. How much do you feel like you identify with your psyche and kind of that ongoing narrative? How much do you feel like you identify more with the witness consciousness and just that sense of peace that's observing everything as if they're clouds going across the sky? And what has helped you to witness, witness your thoughts, witness your psyche more? And I know, you know, a lot of people meditate and that's part of the practice just to witness the thoughts, witness the feelings and not attach to them, right? Not identify with them. But I wonder if there are any other practices that you all have explored that have helped you with that. I also think there's um, something so powerful about the phrase, what if? And that's the last thing I want to talk about today. It's actually, it was the first thing I wanted to talk about when I was making notes for this podcast, but I really wanted to get in there with those quotes from Michael Singer first. So what if so often that phrase is used from a fearful place? I think maybe that's how many of us are first introduced to that phrase. What if something bad happens? <laughs> right? What if it doesn't work out? <gasps> what if, what if I don't get what I want? What if, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, but I want to introduce you all, if you haven't already been introduced to it, to the concept of a positive what if. What if everything's working out? What if everything's okay? What if everything is going to be okay? What if it already is okay? What if you're better at this than you think you are? What if there's more love around you than you can even perceive? What if something great is about to happen? What if something great is happening right now? <laughs> so anyway, those are some examples. But play with this. What if when it's a curious and positive focus can be so fun? I'm smiling right now as I say all of those. And there are a few I wrote down. What if everything you see, hear, and feel today is a love signal? What if you are more loved and supported than you can imagine? And that last one reminds me of this feeling that I get so often with the love letters and with love signals of 
it, it, it did feel like that question became very alive in me in that year. And it still is of like, whoa, what if there's, there's support, there's meaning, there's love coming to find me that I'm not even fully aware of, that I might not even register. And, and it almost got me excited. Like I wanted to start looking around to try to notice it more. And I feel like in certain ways I do notice the love signals in my life more. And there's ways that simply by asking that question, it changes how I feel about life and about kind of the narrative I'm telling myself about things. And to bring it back to the psyche and the witness consciousness, there is almost some way that asking these questions and just opening up to possibilities rather than attaching and clinging, right? As Michael Singer described in that book, clinging to, oh, it's this, it's this, I understand this, it's it's this, I need to control this, this is a problem, this is a solution, da, 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 da. But to just stay more in that openness of what if it does feel like it relaxes me more into a witness consciousness place where I'm really receptive, I'm really noticing things and Yes, there is a filter, there is a bias that I'm maybe looking for, oh, what what feels like a love signal? Oh my gosh, maybe everything feels like a love signal or whatever it might be. But I think that's okay. I think that there can be so much juice that comes from that. And as we know from my last episode and from other things I've mentioned about the untethered soul, Michael Singer talks a lot about unconditional happiness, choosing to be happy unconditionally. And similarly, Tony Robbins talks about choosing to live in a beautiful state, that that's the most important decision you can make. And what they're both really talking about is, in my mind at least, it's this like anchoring into this this place in your being, in your heart, whether it's the witness consciousness as you see it or like dwelling in your heart which is maybe more how I see it. I don't know. I'm still discovering it. Um, but this, this choice to reside in and choose the peace that is our essence on some level and to bring that light, to bring that energy and attention to everything that does arise in our lives. Because yes, there will be challenges and it's not like we... I think so often in the world of spirituality, when we start to talk about these things, whether it's, you know, looking for the positive all the time or not attaching or trying to control our external environment, it can all start to sound really either like passive or like it's um, disconnecting from reality and like disengaging. And what I find actually is that there can be a profound amount of energy and engagement from these places, like from the place of the deep witness consciousness, because there you are not needing to control it, but you have your full energy behind you to show up and do what you're guided to do. And same with even looking for where the love is. It's like, there you are shining your love on whatever situation is needing it. And you're making choices that are really in integrity. And to me that I know that that helps create greater, greater good for all. So lots of deep stuff today. This is, I feel like this is like a particularly brainy, nerdy episode. <laughs> but 
maybe that's just kind of where I'm at. I will say I'm rather amused uh, as I was reading through those journals from the year of daily love letters. I was looking for more um, entries about Untethered Soul, thinking, oh, okay, you know, I started reading it then, like, there's probably more entries here. I know I often read multiple books at the same time, but I know I've been really good about finishing the books that I start over the last, you know, handful of years. And man, there were no more entries in that journal or in the next one uh, about the Untethered Soul. And there, but there were entries about other books. So <laughs> I was just really reading a lot. <laughs> and I similarly, I'm doing that now. And it feels so right to me. To me, it feels like such a satisfying way to engage with other people's ideas. And in a way, to me, books feel like love signals. They feel like they come from a place of love, love of ideas, love of communication, love of creativity and creation. All these people cared enough to to spend that time to share their ideas, their insights, whatever wisdom they've gleaned and to put it into a form where you know I can spend 10 to 30 bucks and I can I can hold it in my hands and I can spend time with their words and that means so much to me I'm so grateful you know I do feel like that was an act of love that they did that and sure you know they can make money from it which is great oh my gosh you know to me that feels like such a healthy exchange of value their wisdom their love their insights get to be rewarded with you know financial support how great is that (laughs) so anyway that's my little book love rant I'd like to leave you with a few what if questions for you so I mentioned these earlier but I want to repeat them again what if everything you see hear and feel today is a signal of love or a love signal And what if you are more loved and supported than you can imagine? And lastly, I'll add, what happens, this isn't a what if, this is a deeper question. What happens when you consider the possibility that you are surrounded by love? And you could answer this on the level of what happens in your body, What happens in your mind? What happens with your posture, maybe? Even your facial expression? What happens with your breathing? What happens with your emotions? Do any images come to mind? Do any words or feelings come to mind? What happens when you consider the possibility that you are surrounded by love? Before I go, I wanted to mention that if you like this podcast, if you're feeling it, if you want this message to be shared more in the world, (laughs) then the next best steps are to subscribe to this podcast on whatever platform or many platforms, whatever floats your boat, to rate the podcast and to review it. All those things really help to um, make magical things happen with the algorithms (laughs) so that this podcast is shared more and made more visible. The other thing you can always do is share it directly. Let a friend know about this. Mention it in a group. So I appreciate you all so much for being here. That's all wonderful. 
And if you do decide to share or rate or subscribe or any of that, I will be so delighted. But no matter what, I'm glad you're here. And I look forward to continuing this journey. All right, I think we did it. I will leave you with our beautiful phrase. There is so much love here for you. May you continue to feel it and notice it in more and more ways as love finds you. Take care until next time.